Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. We're continuing in on your series here called Asking for a Friend. And today we're going to hit a very heavy, uh, emotional topic. I just want to take a moment and just pray over us before we dive into this topic. And um, we're going to talk about abortion. And this is a very polarizing, but also emotional topic, like I said. It's very heavy, I I guess you could say. And so I just want us to pray that God would prepare our hearts and that God would use me. I'll be honest and say that how I approach topics like this, even the things that I say, have changed over the years. And I would think it's for the good. It's how, 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 as Jesus continues to teach me and transform me, I think that it's, I've learned there's, there's better ways to approach things. And so I just want God to use the words and that, that I speak and just, I want to make sure I say the right thing. All right, so let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for today. And we're just, again, thankful for you and your love that is better than anything else we could ever experience in this life. Lord, we were created by you to experience your love and be in relationship with you. And God, I just pray that all of us would continue to grow closer to you. Lord, would you draw us closer to your heart? And today, God, would you prepare our hearts to hear your word? Uh, Lord, prepare us to receive this message in a way that you want us to receive it. Lord, I pray that we would be people of grace because of how much grace you have given to us. Lord, I pray that we would be people not of judgment, not of condemnation, but of grace, and that we would show and share the love that you have with the world. And so, God, I pray that that would come out of this message especially, Lord. Would you bind our hearts together? Unify us, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we talk about this issue of abortion, I'm going to have Pastor Amy help me for a few moments here. And uh, that's, that's a good thing to have her voice speak into this topic. But I think there's three, three things that really help us land on where we stand in regards to this issue. One of them is going to be our worldview. Whatever worldview you have is going to shape your, your stance on the issue of, of abortion. If you believe that you and we were all created by a loving God who loves us, wants relationship with us, then that's going to shape how you approach this. If you don't believe in God and you have this belief that we're a product of evolution, Big Bang Theory, and all of that, then that's also going to very much shape how you approach this topic. And it's important that we understand that people are on different sides of this. People are on different spectrums of this. And that's why it's important for us as believers in God who are following Jesus that we don't just judge the other people because they have a different worldview. We gotta understand they come from a completely different perspective. And you and I can get up here and say, well, the Bible says, and they're like, I don't care. I don't care what the Bible says because their worldview is different. So we've gotta understand that as a starting place But for most believers in God, as most followers of Jesus, we would land on the sanctity of life. Like we are pro-life in that. And there's a lot of other people that land on the pro-choice side of this topic. That really is the two camps that you fall into when you talk about the issue of abortion, right? You're the pro-life or you're pro-choice. But our, our worldview determines where we land on this. The second thing that influences us is our political preference. So whatever leaning you have politically, which we had a lot of fun talking about politics last week. How many guys love talking about politics? That was, again, these topics aren't like super fun. They're emotional. They're tough. They're divisive. We keep talking about how we're hitting these controversial kind of cancel culture topics, but it's so important for us to continue to dive into God's word and say, Lord, how do you want us to live this out? How do you want us to respond to these issues? And so Politics can actually have a greater influence on us than God's word. 
We talked about that last week, but when it comes to this topic, we especially want God's word to inform us on how we land on this, and our political preference can be an influence. And whatever media we listen to influences how we handle all of this. Let's be real. There, there is a bias that we have as we approach this topic, every single one of us. And I think most of us know which of the two political parties land on which side of the pro-life, pro-choice thing, right? Uh, but that political preference is a big part of this. The third issue that really informs and causes us to create a stance on this issue would be our experience in regards to this topic and this issue of abortion. And Pastor Amy's going to speak to the experience portion of this. Sweet. Let's get, let's dive right in. I mean, we know that experience is going to shape how we view this, right? Experience shapes often how we view a lot of things. We want the Bible to do that, but sometimes experience informs us. And we know that a lot of people statistically, there's a large amount of people in this room that have been experienced or have experienced abortion firsthand or secondhand. Um, the statistics say that that's, that's true. And some of us are still in hiding um, about whether we've had an abortion or not because of the shame that surrounds this experience. And we want to just kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, as a female, there's a lot to unpack here. And I know that abortion definitely hurts men, but as a woman, the fact that we can have life in our womb and then have it removed, there's a lot of trauma around that. And some of these experiences, and I want to hit on not just abortion, right, because abortion can affect us, um, but also miscarriage, and sometimes miscarriages require a DNC, um, which is technically a form of an abortion, and there's even shame around that. And there are people in here that may have experienced an eptopic pregnancy that resulted in a DNC because the pregnancy was not viable. And we want to have compassion for all of those people because sometimes when we're up here right-winging it and letting them know how abortion is so wrong, you're going to have women that are sitting here that had to have a medical DNC, and it wasn't something that they wanted. And there's a lot of trauma surrounding that. And for me, I did not experience abortion firsthand. I experienced it secondhand in two different ways from two different people in my life. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about my personal experience, and maybe you can relate with that. See, my sister was 17 years old when she found herself pregnant. I was just 16, and she's just a little bit older than me. She was not able to graduate high school because of how sick she got. And you know what's crazy is... The day that she shared with us, I didn't realize how emotional I would be about this. The day that she shared with us she was pregnant, um, there was a newscast that basically was talking about a young woman who had given birth and then threw her baby in the garbage. And my sister told me she was pregnant, opening up with, I don't want to kill my baby. And I'll never forget the feeling that she had, that there was only to kill your baby or to live in shame. And at that time, we were going to church, and she made a choice to keep her baby. I don't think she was really wrestling with abortion, but I think the world was pushing her like, you're a high schooler, you shouldn't have a baby. Um, but what I want to say about this experience, though my sister took a very brave stance and became a single mom, can I just say a brave stance is also giving your baby up for adoption, and there is trauma that is, regard that is with that regardless as well, because you're giving that life away that was in your womb that you loved and, and feel connected to. But my sister returned to church with shame. Can I tell you the words? that my Christian friends said about my, my sister, that I was the good sister and she was the bad sister. I think the place of honor lies on a sister that chose a hard road. And so if you're in here and you've experienced church hurt because you decided to keep that baby when the church is heralding that, but your reception to keeping that baby was not beautiful, I just want to see you. I'll let you know I see you, and I honor you. Thank you, knowing the shame that you would carry. Man, we would go to grocery stores. People would be mean to her in grocery stores. I mean, I can't even tell you. We need to recognize the sacrifice it takes to say yes to having a baby. 
um, when you're not married or that's not a convenient pregnancy. The second experience I want to share with you is that while I was in high school, um, I did this debate in high school, and um, they just told us what we would be doing, and I got pro-life, and, and my, my fellow friends got uh, pro-choice. Um, I did my research. I went to um, a couple different places, including uh, Pregnancy Choices, if you haven't heard of that, um, and just did some research. I showed up, and I did that little debate, and let me tell you what, nobody did research, but nobody was on the side of pro-life. And I actually had good facts, and I just was doing my job of doing my schoolwork, you know, sharing my story. Um, but what I want to highlight is at the end of that session, one of my classmates came up to me, and she said, I've had an abortion, and I didn't feel confident enough to speak to that because I feel a lot of shame. And she said, when I was going through the abortion process through Planned Parenthood, they did not tell me the repercussions of this surgery because they often do not. And she said, I will never be able to have children again because of the scraping of my womb. And the pain in her voice and the regret was huge. And so I want to recognize those two experiences that oftentimes our experience as women within the medical community is not for our best. Um, and I also want to recognize, I haven't experienced this, but, but I want to recognize the men in this room, that it wasn't your body, but it was your baby. And maybe you, you lost that baby. And God cares and sees that too. And so we have to approach all of this with such grace and compassion and understanding people. That we're not throwing out our opinion to people that are not human. And also, can I just say, this is just free, okay? As a church, if we're going to be pro-life, then we need to be pro-single mother. And we need to be pro-adoption. And we need to be pro-foster care system. And we can't sit back and post posts on Instagram and Facebook that we're not willing to follow up with. And that doesn't mean you have to adopt a child or be in the foster care, but you can support a foster care parent. You can decide to take in a single mom or allow a single mom to live with you. I know that's audacious for me to say, but can I say? Or you can just adopt her and say, hey, anything that you need car-wise, if you have any home repairs, if you need your daughters or your son to spend the night one night, I got you. So that was free. Okay, experience is powerful, right? Um, and the big debate is this, really, where does human life begin? Where does it begin? That's a great question. And, and what you believe about that question or how you answer that question really determines an, aw an awful lot. So we're going to look straight at scripture for this to find out um, what scripture says. But I'm going to speak as a woman. I know what it was like to want life inside of me and not have it with infertility issues, but I also know what it's like to have life inside of me and to be afraid I was going to lose it. No matter where you sit on this, no matter where, whether you've had an abortion or not, women go through trauma when the life is removed from their body. They just do. And so today is not about hitting people over the head, making you sure you know the truth. It is knowing the truth and the truth will set you free. Because there are women walking around with the lie of the world and they're wondering why there's so much pain inside of them if that's just a fetus. But something was, life was taken out of their body and, and God wants to restore and to heal and to renew and to set them free, not just from shame, but the trauma of losing that, that life. So that was free. I have a lot of free stuff to say today. <laughs> uh, we're in Luke. 1 at 39 through 41, and it's so fitting because we're coming up to the Christmas season. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country, pregnant with Jesus, if you don't know, of Judea, and a single mother, unwed, I'm just saying, <laughs> to the town where Zachariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as a fetus in the womb, recognized the Messiah. That is really powerful. A word, the word for child here is brephos, B-R-E-P-H-O-S. I hope I'm saying it right. And then we're going to look again at Luke 2.16. Here they are hurrying again. Mary hurried to the village. Now she's hurrying to the village and found Mary and Joseph 
and there was a baby. Sorry, they, the shepherds, hurried to the village to find Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Mary laid her baby in the manger, and this word baby is also brephos. So child and infant and baby are all the same word, brephos, because the the word of God does not make a distinction between a fetus or a clump of cells and a baby. They are one, whether they're in utero or out of utero. And it's important to understand, like, man, when we think about Jesus being vulnerable, we often think of the cross. What you need to think about is that Jesus was a fetus. And that if Jesus was conceived today, he may have been aborted. just want you to contemplate that. The amount, I mean, my whole generation was probably aborted. I'm probably, I'm Generation X, and half of us was aborted. Did you know that? I'm going to say that in a few minutes. Oh, I should stop. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Slap my hand. Let's go. Okay. So Jesus was a fetus, and he identifies with us in our most vulnerable stage because that is a vulnerable, vulnerable stage. And I'll end with this. Jesus in the womb validates life inside the womb. Jesus in the womb validates life in the womb. Thank you. That was really good. So as a church, as followers of Jesus, we want to make sure we're pointing people to Jesus. So please understand this. New life in Jesus is our message. Like, this is the primary message of the church. This is the primary message for all of us as as believers in Jesus, right? Our primary message is not these topics we're addressing on Sundays. It's that you can find new life in Jesus. Now, we just think that these topics are very important. This is a part of our discipleship. This is a part of us growing and following Jesus. And I think it's important for us as a whole, as the church, to look at how do we handle and navigate these topics, because I don't think we've done the best job in the last several decades. But... We cannot forget, new life in Jesus is our message. That's why we exist. We want to share and show the love of Jesus. We want to see people's lives changed and transformed by the power of Jesus. And we want Jesus to continue to change and transform us as well. So when you and I put our trust in Jesus, we are a new creation. We have new life. And that new life means that you and I have a new way of thinking which translates into a new way of living. And so it's going to inform us on how do we handle issues like this. And so as we talk about abortion, let's, let's backtrack a little bit and let's look at how did we get here, where we're at right now as a country. Now, the debate on abortion has actually gone on for centuries. Way before Roe v. Wade, uh, there was actually a lot of pro-choice laws in effect in our country uh, for years and years and years. But the Roe v. Wade decision was the big one. So that was the Supreme Court deciding uh, seven to two on January of 1973 that laws prohibiting abortion violated a woman's constitutional right to privacy. At the time, they said states could now regulate abortion procedures in the interest of woman's health or in protecting human life starting at the end of the first trimester. So that's how that began. There's been, and there was a lot of changes since then through the years, but uh, it's pretty easy to say that one decision caused a lot of controversy and caused a huge divide in our country and basically created two camps. Are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? So here's the statistics that we see now from abortion. On average, more than 2,600 abortions occur daily in the United States. More than 64 million babies have been aborted since the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. 21% of all U.S. pregnancies are said to end in abortion. Since 1990, the number of abortions have, for the most part, been on the steady decline. It's kind of an interesting part of this story here. Interesting statistic. 1973, the decisions made and abortions just began to climb, 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 skyrocket. And so in 1990, they hit the peak. But since then, for the most part, it's actually gone down. 
Now, I'm Gen X, and this is what Pastor Amy was just saying a little bit ago, a little bit ago but the statistic is this. I'm a proud Gen Xer, by the way. A forgotten generation. It's been said that one-third of my generation did not graduate from high school because they were never given a chance to live because they were aborted. One-third of my generation. You think about the people that could be here with us right now. That just kind of changes your whole perspective on this. You know, two years ago, I had a, a conversation with my mom, and she shared with me something she had never shared with me before. And she began to open up, and she said, hey, Tyrone, I'll never forget the day I found out I was pregnant with you. She said, I was in a clinic, actually. I thought I was pregnant, so went to this clinic, and in this clinic, I found out, yes, it's confirmed, I'm pregnant. She said, it's very emotional. It's, it's always a very emotional thing for women. Always an emotional thing, like, whoa, like, what's, okay, here we go, you know, and so very emotional time for her, and she said the lady in the clinic looked at her and, and said, well, if you don't want this pregnancy, we can just, I'll take you down the hall here, and we can end the pregnancy. And that situation, that scenario happens time and time and time and time again in a very raw and emotional moment for young ladies, or older ladies. In this moment of vulnerability, they given a choice. Right now, do you want to just, hey, no one will ever know. This is what she was told. My mom was told this. No one will ever know. And my mom told me, she said, I was really saddened by the fact that she would actually say that to me. Now, again, this is one year after Roe v. Wade. So abortions are just skyrocketing now. In 1974, it's becoming the norm. Remember, it's a constitutional right that people have now. That's the decision that's been made. And so she's given this, she's presented this option. And, and my mom said, I just felt very sad that she would even look at me and say that because uh, in that moment, she's like, there's no way I would ever want to do that. Even though there's a lot of emotions and fear in, in, involved in this situation, there's no way. And for the first time in my life, this topic of abortion became very personal. Little did she know in that moment that I would have a vocation like this. It probably would have been the last thing on her mind that I would ever become a, a pastor who would get up here and talk about God's word and even topics like this. She, probably the farthest thing ever from her mind in that moment. But she knew, she's like, no, there's no, I am keeping this baby. And as somebody years later who is a recipient of that decision, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. So this issue is, I'm a man, but it is still a bit personal for me, and I'm thankful for a mom who decided to keep their child. Last year, something very significant happened in our country, and it actually surprised our entire country. No matter where you stand on this issue, it was, it was, it was quite shocking. We started hearing rumors of the Supreme Court might overturn Roe v. Wade. And most people are like, that would never happen. Well, maybe, but there's probably, we're probably like maybe 10 years from now, that would never happen. But wouldn't you know, June 22nd, last year, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade. And now there's no longer a constitutional right for women to have an abortion. So that sent shockwaves through our country. You guys probably remember that. And just was a crazy, crazy time. And this, this issue of abortion continues to be so polarizing and so intense and so emotional. And it's, it's like the leading thing that we hear about in politics, and especially as it comes to an election season, which again, like we talked about last week, hey, get ready, here we go. An election year is, is coming, ready or not, here it comes. So one year uh, after that Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, uh, one year later, last June, it was estimated that 200,000 children were born that would not have otherwise been born. Some states saw a 96% drop in abortion. Hmm. But still, there's a huge debate. There's a huge, you could call it, 
a fight, right? There's a battle going on. The argument from pro-choice people say, this is all about reproductive care. This is what we want. Women have a right to reproductive care. They have a right to access this. They have the right to have it taken care of by insurance. And this, that's the kind of the stance that they take. People have a right to this. And if you've had an abortion, a lot of them would say, hey, no shame. Like, in fact, you should be proud of that freedom of choice that you've had to take care of your own body and your own life. And there's a movement now, maybe you've seen this, of shout your abortion. Like, hey, just, just shout it. Just be proud that you've done this. You've made this decision. You've got a couple pictures of this where people are wearing shirts and just is part of the rallies, like shout your abortion. This is where the mantra, my body, my choice, comes. Probably all heard that, right? My body, my choice. And to that point, here's what I would say. I agree with you. You're right. I can't force you to choose anything. That is your choice. Like, we know that about people, right? If you are married, you especially know that. I try to make her choose things. It does not go well. It's so... We're all free to make our own choices, and we, we have to allow other people freedom to make their own choices, and we have to love them in spite of disagreeing and all that kind of stuff, right? I agree. You are right to, you have a right to choose. You are free to choose, so I'll agree with you in that. You can make a choice to do anything, whatever you want. Paul even speaks to this in his letter to the Corinthians. He's like, hey, we're free to make any decision. It doesn't mean it's good for us, but you still have the freedom. Everything is permissible, but that doesn't mean it's beneficial is what Paul says. But I, I would say, yeah, you have a right to choose, and I also would agree with you in this. A woman's body must be respected. A woman's body must be protected. Amen. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I will agree with them uh, in, that, in that stance. But I also think this, this is where I stand on this. Oh, when a woman is pregnant, I think that's more true than ever because now we're talking about two bodies in regards to this. And that's the stance that I've taken as a pro-life person. Now, one organization said this about the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, said this. This decision will allow extremists across the country to ban abortion and force women and others who can become pregnant into a second-class status by denying them control over their bodies and their futures. Because of this decision, half the states are expected to ban abortion, denying the 36 million women and other people who can become pregnant in those states the fundamental right to decide for themselves if and when to have a child. The impacts of pushing abortion out of reach fall disproportionately on the, on the same women and other people who have always faced systemic barriers to care. Communities of color, people living on low incomes, undocumented immigrants, young people, the LGBTQ plus community, and people with disabilities. So you read quotes like that, you maybe read articles, you hear people talk about it like that, and you can just feel and sense the emotion in this, right? Like there is a lot of emotion, no matter what side people are on, there is intense emotion regarding this issue. This is why this is such a heavy, heavy issue. I'll thank God when I say amen and I'm done with this topic, all right? But again, it's so important for you and I to process this and think about this. This is just another one of those issues like we talk about in this series where you can choose a side and you can just yell at the other side. And this is what happens, right? Well, yeah, well, you're just, you're just a bunch of murderers. Well, yeah, well, you don't care about women and their rights and all that. You know, you just, it just goes back and forth. And can I just, by the way, say, like, again, you're free to make posts on the Internet, you're free to make social media posts, but are they going to do any good? Because please understand this. This is why I always want to bring us back to our primary message is Jesus. But when you make posts on things like this, you are not going to argue or persuade anybody into your opinion, especially on social media. So you might as well just avoid it and just promote Jesus and put people to Jesus. That's kind of my opinion where we land. But here's what people see and read when they read your post on whatever side you land on. All they're reading is what side are you on? They filter everything through that. What side are you on? Amen, sister. How dare you say that? You don't even love people when you call yourself a Christian. I mean, it's like instantly 
People are only gonna respond depending upon what side you're on. We can never argue or persuade people, especially when you're not in a conversation with people face-to-face. Please be careful. Please use social media wise as a follower of Jesus. Do not do Jesus a disservice on social media. Can I say that, please? Okay, so it's important because we are called to point people to Jesus more than anything else. So we don't want to just pick our side and yell at the other side. But there are two big camps here, two sides, pro-choice, pro-life, right? And that's where we're at. So as followers of Jesus, how do we handle this and how do we navigate this? This is where we're going to go, okay? Here's what's interesting to me. Did you know that 76% of abortion-determined women would keep their baby if their circumstances would change? 76%. If I was financially more stable, if the relationship with the father was stable, if I had a livable wage or I had access to health care, Planned Parenthood even says the same thing. This is what they say. According to Planned Parenthood, abortions are mainly due to resource limitation, such as financial constraints and a lack of partner support. And you read that and you see, wow, this, these are very real, tangible issues that affect the individual or even the couple. And so I can, see, I can see the dilemma here. Can you see the dilemma? This is a difficult emotional decision for women to make. They're just struggling. They're worried. They're stressed out. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready. I don't feel like I have the support to do this. I don't have the finances. I'm embarrassed. I'm not ready yet. All these, these emotions and these, these conversations go on and on and on inside of, inside of women. And so it's good for us to understand that and empathize with people right where they are at. This is not easy. So how do we respond to them? What do we do with this? I think this is just how we'd handle other topics that we're hitting on this whole series. You don't have to agree with them, but you do need to love them. And you do need to meet them with love and compassion right where they're at. I'm telling you, you meet them with judgment and condemnation, and they will likely never turn to Jesus. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so let us not pick up this message of condemnation if Jesus didn't come in for, with a message of condemnation, okay? So we're called to love these people. And, and a lot of them, a lot of these women, they feel trapped. They feel unsupported. They feel like there isn't any other option. The abortion is my only option. And really, they're making this decision because they, they lack hope. And to me, that shows great opportunity for us just to walk up to them, put our arms around them and say, you're going to make it and I'm going to walk with you through this. This is an opportunity for you and I to be Jesus to people, for the church to be the church that Jesus is calling us to be. And one of the the, the pushbacks that pro-choice people will say to pro-life people, and and Pastor Amy, you actually spoke to this, but this is the pushback. Well, if you're going to fight for these babies to be born, what are you going to do about it once they're born? Hey, fair question, fair statement, and this needs to be part of the whole conversation because we got a lot of pro-lifers that want, they don't want to help anybody else raise their kid. They just want to live their selfish, Jesus, selfish life. (laughs) That's religious. So if if I'm really going to be a pro-lifer, I I need to be pro-like everybody's life and help other people and... And so this is a fair part of the conversation where am am I willing to be a part of the solution here, not just take a stance? Am I willing to help a single mom? Am I willing to help a teen mom? Am I willing to adopt? And this is a big part of the debate. And here's the good news. I will say this. The church in our country is leading the way in adoption far by far. Like, it's not even close. The number one category of people who adopt is believers in Jesus. And so we are helping to be a solution to this, okay? So I'm thankful for that, but I think it's important that we all just continue to pray, God, what do you want me to do in regards to this? How do you want me to respond? Because we want to be a part of the solution, not just be a part of a stance. If you hear what I'm saying. So...
Here's another thing that's interesting to me about this whole debate here is pro-choice just makes the rally cry freedom and rights. It's all about my freedom and my rights. It's my choice. And if I don't have a choice, then I'm being persecuted and you need to, I deserve this and you need to give me this. Um, And my encouragement to that, again, this is where my opinion is at, where I'm at, is that I, I just think you might want to consider there's actually another life involved in this decision, not just your life. And again, as followers of Jesus, we're people who've laid down our rights to him, to follow him and trust him. Like his ways and his plans for my life are way better than my ways and my plans for my life. And so I, as, a, as a believer, I should never be fighting for my rights. And this is another one of those political things too, honestly. We can go to that realm where Christians are like, this, we have the right to this, right to this. Actually, we laid down our rights when we came to Jesus. We're called to love and serve, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but um, this is where the all-important question comes up again. Where does human life begin? Where does it begin? So let's go to the Word again. We're going to look at a few scriptures that help us, help inform us on how do we navigate this biblically as followers of Jesus. Here's that psalm again. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. That's just a profound statement and thought. Have you ever looked at your mother's belly and thought I was in there? That's perspective. I, I, I dare you to do that. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. What we see in Scripture is that that life is in the womb, that fetus. It is a human life in the womb that God is knitting, God is forming together. What we see is even bigger than that. Like God knew you and had plans for you even before you were in the womb. He says that specifically to Jeremiah, the prophet. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I just love that. Obviously, that's a specific word to Jeremiah, but this is a, a, a word we can take for all of us, right? We see the, the characteristic and the power of God in that one sentence, and it lines up with Psalm 139 as well. God saw you and knew you before you were born. That's like, we can't even comprehend that, right? Even if you were an accident, God saw you, he knew you, and he had plans for you. Even if you were unwanted by your parents, God saw you and he loved you and he had plans for you. Even if you were the result of a one-night stand, God had plans for you before you were ever conceived or born. Even if you are the result of rape, God saw you, he loves you, and he's got plans for you. And that ultimately ends in you having a relationship with him. I just, we serve a God who can redeem and restore any situation, guys. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we follow. He has the power to bring good from evil and tragedy. That's how incredible he is. And so this whole argument of rape is a big part of the conversation. What happens if a woman's raped? She shouldn't have to. She doesn't deserve that. And we all agree. Like, no one wishes that on anybody. Anybody. That is horrible. That is tragic. That is evil, is what it is. But I think that that life inside of that young woman now is not just a fetus or an embryo. It is a human being. And I don't think anything justifies ending their life. It comes down to don't make a wrong decision just because somebody else made a wrong decision that you couldn't control. And so, again, I would say this. Where does life begin? Life begins at conception. But God knew us even before that. How incredible is that. Life begins at conception, but God knew us even before that moment. So we look at it biblically. How about scientifically? Have you seen this video before? Look at this video right here. What you see in this video is actually at the moment of conception, there's a flash of light. 
Scientists have now captured this. Conception, flash of light. They know what's happening in that moment, but here's what they can't explain. How or why? Isn't that incredible? Like scientifically, they see this now. We capture this on video. The moment of conception, light happens. Light happens when life happens. It could be said the other way around. Life happens when light happens. Hmm. That is profound, friends. Scientifically, you don't even have to agree with the Bible. Just science right there shows you. Wow. Something happened at the moment of conception. You cannot ignore that. Light. So we go back to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And this is the beginning of all things created right here. Light begins everything else. It's the beginning of our life as well. At that flash of light, boom, life happens. Well, Genesis 1 and 2 are incredible chapters to read about how God created the whole universe, land and sea, animals and plants, and then humans. And then you get to chapter 3, and you're like, man, we broke it pretty quick. Sin enters the world because they didn't trust God's way. They rebelled against what God had asked, and so sin comes in the world. That's why we have death. That's why we have disease and heartache and pain and all that stuff. And this is what God says in Genesis 3. It says, Then the Lord said, uh, Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first proclamation and prophecy about the gospel right here in Genesis 3. Because God is saying, hey, I got a plan to redeem and restore mankind right here from the beginning. So you can see the first prophetic words about Jesus coming right here in Genesis 3. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And it's going to come through the offspring of the woman. Now that word offspring is literally the word seed. And so you can see from the beginning there and from the fall of man, there's been enmity between the seed and, and between Satan between Satan and the seed. But God says he's going to use the seed of the woman to crush the Satan. You go through all the Old Testament, it's all preparation, it's all foreshadowing of, of Jesus' coming. He's going to, the Messiah is going to come and is going to restore and make all things new. And he's, he's going to crush the serpent. He's going to crush Satan. Then you get to the New Testament Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, the first gospel, the four gospels we have about the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it begins with this whole long genealogy thing. And you're like, that's kind of boring. That's stupid. I skip over that. Okay, let's get to the good part. But all of that is tracing back the seed of Jesus to show us, to prove, hey, what God said way back when in Genesis 3, it happened through Jesus. And Jesus came through the seed of a woman, fulfilling that Genesis 3 prophecy. Isn't that incredible? And what's also incredible to me is the fact that God came the way he came. Like God could have come in any way, shape, form that he wanted to, if you think about it, because he's God. But he chose to enter the womb of a woman, became an embryo, and identified even with that part of our life process. God chose to come that way. To me, guys, that is incredible. God chose conception. And with that, he went through every step of the birth process, starting with the embryo, through being born, thus validating, I believe, the sanctity of human life while it is in the womb. Again, like Pastor Amy said, Jesus in the womb validates life in the womb. But then Jesus experiences death, and through that, he validates even the human experience of death. He also 
validates and sanctifies human suffering because Jesus didn't just die. He suffers and he dies. So Jesus, the God-man, the, the second person of the triune Godhead, he went through every phase of the human life process, redeeming it all, identifying it all. And this is the power, friends, of the message of the gospel, what, what, what God has done for us, for you and me. That Christ, through the incarnation, which is him becoming flesh and becoming human, Christ, through his incarnation, vindicates, validates, verifies the sanctity of human life at every point from conception all the way to death. And the gospel story reminds us that it's not about us. It's about him. It's his story. You and I, we're not the center of the universe. It's not about our story. It's about his story. It's about what God is doing to restore, to redeem, and to forgive you and I and all of mankind. So this is why it's important to always bring it back to this. Whatever your experience is in life, whatever your experience is in this topic of abortion, please know that God has grace for you, and he just wants to draw you closer into relationship with him. He wants to bring healing to your life, especially if you've got pain in regards to this. He is a God who heals, who restores, that's how much he loves you. So we want to point people to Jesus. Our mission here is to love people, live like Jesus, and lead others to him, right? We read that earlier. We want to live like Jesus. So Philippians 2, Paul gives us a very clear way to live like Jesus. Look at this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You and I are called to live this way, to value other people, to consider them and their needs and who they are, because this is how Jesus lives, Paul is getting ready to point out. We're not called to live selfish lives, friends. And this is where I would say, if I could be honest, when I was a high schooler and I was first introduced to the topic of abortion, my first thought was, what does it matter? Like, it's just a little embryo cell. That's honestly where I went. But as I listened to adults and just kind of processed this a little bit more, I realized, oh, there's power in what God already did. There's something significant here. And the more I hear people make a case for pro-choice, really what they're making a case for is, I just want to do what I want to do. It's my choice. And again, yeah, you're free to do that, but it's all about my rights and my choice and my freedom. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you and I are called to lay down our rights, follow him, and not think of ourselves and live selfishly. I get it. If I'm going to choose to keep this child, that changes everything. There's this old Christmas song that is super cheesy that I never liked listening to, but it was called The Baby Changes Everything. A baby changes everything. But every time I heard it, I'm like, you're darn right it does. A baby changes everything. And everybody's family, like, yeah, changed my family. My baby changed everything. It's a big deal if someone chooses to keep that baby. It's also a selfless decision. And that's always my encouragement. Like, but we're, we're not called to live selfishly. Fight for my rights. No, we're called to live selflessly. So verse five, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Think about embryo, nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, in every stage of human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is how you and I as followers of Jesus are called to live right here. We're called to live like Jesus. He was a servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. We're called to look at the needs of others, to serve other people, to love other people. That's how we're going to change the world. Our judgment, our condemnation, our laughing, our mocking will not change people's lives or hearts. You know what will change people's lives is when you put somebody, you put your arm around someone and you say, I'm with you. I see you. 
care? Can I walk with you through this? I don't even know what that means, but I just want you to know you're not alone. And I care, and I just want you to know there's a God who sees you and loves you and he cares for you. And I just want to be Jesus with skin on to you right now. And I just want to show you that you can make it. That's how you and I are going to change the world. Not by divisive words and judgmental posts. We're called to love. Put our arms around people. Serve. Help people. There's a great resource down the road called Choices. And this is what they do. It's a pregnancy center. It's right on 40th Street. Super close to here, guys. It's just south of Paradise Valley Burger Company, which we all know where that is. It's just south of that. Choices. Pregnancy center. It's a a great organization that says we want to help moms make informed decisions. You know, by the way, we've got supplies. I mean, it's it's free and it's confidential. Free and confidential is a great resource for our community. You know, someone who needs this. But they also have like diapers for moms and emergency baby supplies, all this kind of stuff. They will help support and resource moms. And I love organizations like that because they're just being Jesus for people. And so we can partner with organizations like that and say, hey, we're going to make this. You're going to make it. Let's do this together. So Jesus in the womb, I think, validates life in the womb. But remember, more than that, Jesus came to give you and I new life. You and I here listening to this, we've all had the privilege of being born. We were physically born. We don't remember the moment. Maybe you heard your mom talk about it, how horrible or good it was. Moms love to talk about their birthing experiences and all that. And every time that starts happening, I'm like, I just kind of excuse myself. All right, you guys can share your war stories. But we've all had the opportunity and the privilege of being born. We're thankful for that, right? But Jesus says, you got to be born again. Born again. That's you and I putting our trust in him, recognizing that it was our sin that put him on the cross. He died for our sin so that we don't have to die for our sin, so that we can find new life in him that begins today and lasts forevermore. You and I are called to live in this new life. It's a, it's a new way of living. It's a new way of thinking. I pray that you and I, who have already put our trust in Jesus, continue to live like Jesus and to show and share his love to the world around us. But maybe you've never made that decision. Today is your day your trust in Jesus and find new life in him and you're born again. Jesus' words, not mine. Would you stand your feet? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.